0: Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. Whenever I say dad talk, do you know what I'm talking about? If I say dad talk, do you understand what I mean by that? Like it's a talk where a dad will sit down the kids and just break down life, like explain some things to them. Right? I have these talks with my kids uh, all the time, uh, teaching them things. Whether it's like disciplinary things, or maybe it's just like teaching them uh, how things work in the world. Right? It's a dad talk. I remember as a kid, my dad used to have these with me all the time. These dad dad talks. One of them that I remember specifically is he used to teach me how to handle a pocket knife, right? How to handle a pocket knife. What is the number one rule if you're going to handle a pocket knife? What would you say? I think you said it. You kind of mumbled, but I think you said cut away from yourself. Uh, That's right. Always away from yourself. You cut away from yourself. And I remember my dad teaching me that specifically all the time. He would just hammer that into me. Well, fast forward to last Christmas, and my parents, they came to our house for Christmas. We were opening presents. And uh, that morning, I got up. I don't typically carry a pocket knife, and my dad makes fun of me for that. He says I'm not manly enough or something, I don't know. But that morning, I thought, it's Christmas. I'm gonna need this pocket knife, and so I grabbed it. And so I had the pocket knife with me, and we're opening presents there. Just my family and my parents were there. And my kids, they were bringing me their toys to open. Right? And, and so um, I was being a good dad. I was opening all of their presents. My son, he brought me this toy, and he asked me to open it. And if you know anything about, like, little kids' toys these days, they're held in the box with, like, 400 zip ties, right? And, and so I'm opening this, this present. I set it on my lap, and I'm o- opening this present, and I don't know how it happened, but somehow I stuck that pocket knife right in my leg. I mean just Ricky Bobby style, straight in, the pointy end first. I mean, it was, it was bad, and everybody looked at me like, did you just stab yourself? And I was like, I think I did, and I think I need to lay down because I'm losing a lot of blood. And, and so it was just, it was wild, and it was so embarrassing because my dad was there, right? And he specifically taught me as a kid to not stick knives in my leg. You know, and, and so it's just like, it was this embarrassing Type of a thing. I bring that up because our passage this morning is kind of a dad talk. It's a dad talk where Paul's going to kind of tell us just some very practical things uh, this morning, practical instructions. And if we'll follow them, if we'll actually follow them, it'll be better for us, right? So if you have a Bible, open it with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We started this series in the book of 1 Thessalonians several weeks ago. Um, now. And the reason for this dad talk in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is is Paul is trying to help them along their journey of spiritual growth. It's this word that we throw out sometimes, this theological word of sanctification, if you've ever heard that. Sanctification just means that it's this journey that we're on to become more and more christ like. In fact, verse 1 of chapter 4 says, uh, Brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us, so you, you understand how to, to live and how to be about things, you've, you've received this instruction from us on how you should live and please God as you are doing, so they're doing it, but do this even more. Do it even more. And so it's this process that, that yes, we are saved and we are sealed by Jesus. But we haven't arrived yet. Like, we're still on this process of becoming more and more like Christ. And if we are saved, then that good news that we believe should touch and affect every aspect of our lives, right? It doesn't just affect our Sunday morning, it affects our Monday and our Tuesday and every day of our lives. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Before we read the passage, I'd like for us just to pray. So I'm going to pray for us, and as I do, why don't you just pray for yourself that God would speak to you through His Word this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you just for uh, the opportunity to come this morning and to gather here uh, as a body of believers, and I pray, God, as we open up your Word, that you would speak. Not me, not, not the things that I have to say, but, but your Word, through the Spirit, would you speak to us and would you change us and make us more into the likeness of Jesus this morning. That's what we're praying and we're asking and we're listening as you speak. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to jump in at verse 9. He says this, about brotherly love, you don't need me to write, write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you're doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, do this even more. To seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands. That's our main verse this morning. As we have commanded you, verse 12, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. All right? So that's what we're talking about this morning. He, he opens up by talking about brotherly love in verse, verse 9. Last week, the whole topic of the passage in 1 Thessalonians 3 was about brotherly love. Like he was saying that their love for one another and for him encouraged him. And um, he's praying that their love, although they're good at it, would increase and overflow out of them. That's what he talked about. And so whenever he opens up talking about, about brotherly love, you're good at it. I don't need to necessarily talk to you about it, but here's how you practically do it, right? And so verse 11, this dad talk gets very practical. It's very practical. It's all about living and interacting in the world in a loving way. To seek to lead a quiet life to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands. That's, that's the outline this morning. That's what we're going to talk about. So let's just break down this verse together. First, he says, live a quiet life. Live a quiet life. I've yet to meet anyone in America. Whenever you ask them, hey, man, how are you, how are you doing? For them to go, you know what? I'm just not busy at all, right? Everybody, whenever, how are you doing? Well, busy, Everybody. Statistics show that, that Americans today are more busy, more stressed out than ever before. And so whenever he says live a quiet life, man, it is applicable to us. So what does it mean? He says seek to lead a quiet life, or, or that could mean to strive after this, to be zealous for, for this. It, it carries the idea of ambition. And so really it could be translated have uh, make it your ambition to have no ambition, which seems like a contradiction, right? It's like an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. It's a contradiction of, of terms because whenever we think of ambition, we think of like running the race hard and, and moving and shaking and, and, and going after goals and those kind of things, having a lot of ambition. And, and he, says, he says to have an ambition of not really having ambition, right? The way that the word quiet there translates... It doesn't mean silence or no talking. It doesn't mean like taking a vow of silence. Quiet refers to a state of being. So literally what he's saying is he's pushing back on a busy life. On a busy life, which I think all of us resonate with that, right? As a society, as a culture, as a people, we would just say, man, we're busy. We're just busy. Running from one thing to the next. And so in the context of talking about In brotherly love, seek to lead a quiet life. Seek to not be busy. How is it loving to live a quiet life? How is it loving to your brothers and sisters, to your family, to your loved ones, to lead a non-busy life? There's a few reasons. First, people who are too scattered cause a strain on their relationships because you're just too busy, right? And so those relationships around you start to be strained You just don't have time for them. Second reason is when your plate is too full, you just don't have the bandwidth to to truly love people. You don't have the space. Uh, Pastor Josh King said it best this week. He said, life is messy and it isn't on a schedule. It just gets messy and if I'm constantly moving from one thing to another or this project to that one, I just don't have the space to pause and meet people where they are. I don't have the space to be there when I'm needed. I have no extra time, I have no extra energy, and that's not very loving, right? That's not loving to those around me, and so it it creates a strain, it creates a scheduling issue, but also the, the third reason why it's loving to lead a quiet life is your busyness is eating up time with Jesus. Your busyness is eating up time Time with Jesus. There was a professor uh, named Michael Zigarelli, and he, he did this five year study. He, he pulled 20,000 Christian people, and, and he did this study on the obstacles to spiritual growth. So he is trying to figure out what is it that's causing Christians to not grow in their spiritual life like they should. And he identified busyness as a major reason why. I want you to see what he, what he found here. I, I've got that on the screen for you, take a look at this. He, he, he concluded after this study of five years, 20,000 people, that Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, which we've talked about. That's our culture, that's what we live in. We've assimilated into that, which leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, becoming more on the fringes, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle just begins again. That we as a Christian people, we haven't uh, assimilated the world into our standard of living. No, we've jumped right into the flow of the hurry and the busy. And because of that, our time with Jesus has, has diminished our relationship with the Lord, our spiritual growth has taken a big hit. And so what do we do about that? What do we, how do we break out of that cycle? Well, first you gotta figure out what God has called you to. You figure out what God has called you to and you figure out the people that he's put around you that he's called you to invest in. And you figure out those two things. What am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to love? And then you do a lot of those things, right? You, you create the framework around those things. You begin to schedule things that need to get done. You begin to make space for your people. You begin to build in some margin, some flex space for those things that just happened to come up that, that, that weren't planned for, which, which might mean this, all right? Learning to say no to some good things. That's tough, but learning to say no to some good things helps you to build in the margin that's needed for whenever you are needed. And then the last, the last thing that we do to break out of that schedule of busyness and hurry is just remember to rest. Rest is a, is a good thing from the Lord in, in the Bible. And so this idea, this topic of busyness, man, is probably an area we constantly need to check ourselves, right? We constantly need to be looking at our lives and asking, am I too busy? Am I too busy? Do I need to slow down? be honest with you I've wrestled with this sermon this week because it's just so practical it, it, it's almost self-help a little bit right but I think it's good for us to hear straight from God himself through his word slow down slow down you don't have to kill yourself chasing that thing so take a breath make some space in your life don't take yourself so seriously and strive to lead a quiet life. Strive to lead a quiet life. The second thing he says in verse 11 is he says, mind your own business, which I love, right? How many of you knew that that was in the Bible? Mind your own business. I I set my kids down at least once a week and have that dad talk with them, right? They'll come in, they'll tattle on, you know, one of the other ones or they'll be saying somebody got something that they didn't, and it's always mind your business. Mind your own business. You just worry about, about you. And now I can quote a Bible verse to them <laughs> on that, right? So what does this mean? I, I think the context is helpful here. Whenever Paul says, mind your own business, he's talking to this group of people. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11, it says this, for we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They're not busy, but busybodies. They're idle. A busybody is somebody who interferes in a situation that doesn't concern them, right? And so the context is this, whenever Paul, um, he's talking to this group of people in Thessalonica, and he, um, while he's there with them, he's teaching them about the return of Jesus, about Jesus one day returning to them, right? And whenever he teaches them about that, apparently there's a group of people that go, Jesus is coming back? Sweet, I'm quitting my job. And so they just quit their job, because they're like, if, if Jesus is coming back, I don't need to work next week, right? They, they misunderstood his, his teaching on this. And what that led to is a group of people who just had a lot of time on their hands. And so what, that, what happened is they just became, they just got in everybody else's business, right? That's kind of the context of what's, what's happening here. They have all this extra time, so they're just in everybody's stuff. They're getting themselves and others in trouble. And Paul says, man, mind your own business. Stay out of the things that don't concern you. Don't be a busybody. So why would it be unloving, right, to not mind your own business? I think that's pretty easy to to see. It's annoying (laughs) to have people have their nose in your business, right? It's just annoying. It, It doesn't concern you. Don't be concerned about it. I've noticed this. I I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but but whenever there's some minor drama that may take place, which it does take place, some minor drama takes place, if if those two people are just allowed to kind of work it out, it resolves so much quicker, right? But whenever a lot of people who aren't in the situation at all start sticking their face into it, well, then it just gets weird. There's too many people involved in the situation for it to, to resolve naturally. It's awkward and it's weird and you got all these people, even if they have good intentions, they're in this space that they don't necessarily belong. So just mind your own business. Help if you're asked and if you're able, but otherwise it doesn't concern you. Even if you have the best intentions, you may actually be making the situation worse. And so Paul says, just stick to yourself, mind your own business. Right? And so this is where the third thing that Paul says comes in uh, in a helpful way. Because we can hear lead a quiet life, mind your own business, and it can cause us just to just go, oh, I'm just going to step back, I'm going to sit on my hands, I'm not really going to do anything at all. But that's not what Paul's saying. The last thing that he says is to work hard with your hands. Or my dad would say it this way, don't be lazy. My dad used to tell me that all the time, don't be Lazy. I, I read this, this quote this week that says this. There are three kinds of workers. For example, when a piano is to be moved, the first, the first kind gets behind it and pushes. The second kind pulls and guides, gives everybody orders. And the third grabs the piano stool, right? We've all been there, right? Moving something heavy, there's always the guy who's just gonna grab the stool. Paul says, don't be lazy. Don't be, don't be lazy, for the most part here, the context of what's going on, the, the Greeks, the people in this area, they despise manual labor. They thought it was below them. They thought it was for the slaves to, to do those kind of things. But Paul modeled a different kind of life for them. He modeled a, a life of, of hard work. Does anybody know what Paul's profession was? Tent maker. Tent maker, that's right. Apparently, a lot of people went camping back in the day, and so he made tents. That was his job. And, and if you remember in... in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul was accused of taking advantage of the people in Thessalonica. And Paul responded and defended himself saying, no, we weren't taking advantage of you. We weren't trying to get your money. In fact, I worked the whole time that I was with you. And so Paul modeled this, this idea of hard work. And like I said earlier, man, people, like they, they heard about the return of Jesus, so they just quit their jobs. And whenever they did that, they became a leech on the church. They became a leech on their Christian brothers and sisters who were probably you know, just trying their best to make ends meet. And they couldn't pay their bills. And so they're in the community, and they, the, the merchants and the people, they, they, they couldn't keep up. And that was giving the Christians in town a bad name. And Paul's trying to teach them that that, it's, that lazy is a sin. Lazy is a sin. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul says this, in fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. So he's, eight, let, me be, let me be clear here. He's talking about people who are unwilling to work, not unable to work. He's saying if you're unwilling to work, you shouldn't eat. So we should, we should work hard, we should, we should go to bed tired. We should work hard, why? Because God created work for us as a good gift. Did you know that? Genesis chapter two, verse 15, God puts them in the garden and he tells them, I'm putting you here to work the garden and watch over it. That's before sin ever entered the world. And so work from the beginning was a good gift from God to us, it's not punishment. And so Paul's challenge to work with your own hands is a powerful reminder to us that the Christian faith is a practical faith. That, it, that, work, that our faith goes to work with us. Right? Like I said in the beginning, faith isn't just a Sunday thing, it's a Monday through Friday type of thing as well, and throw in Saturday as well. The most tangible way that we can express love to others is to passionately live out our faith in the world. Every single thing that we do, everything we do, sends a message to the world about what we believe about God, including how you work. Including how you work. So set a good example at your work, right? Don't, don't be lazy. Don't slack off. Don't be the guy watching the time clock, right? Show up on time. Don't be dishonest with your time. Work until it's time to go home. These are all good things that we should do, but when it's time to go home, go home. I think for some of us, that's probably where we need to zero in on this conversation. Some of us need to be reminded to go home at the end of the day, right? There's a, there's a quote by a guy named Kerry Newhoff. He, he's talking about uh, workaholics, and, and he, says, he says this. He says, workaholism is the most rewarded addiction in America. If you're drinking at work or an alcoholic, you get fired. But if you're a workaholic, you get a raise, and you get a promotion. See, there's some of us who it's not, we need to be told to, to work harder. Some of us need to be told, you need to go home. You need to make that space for those people around you. You're not being loving. If you're working so much that you never have time to play with your kids, something's wrong. If, if, if your marriage is falling apart because of your job, man, something is wrong. We work to live, we don't live to work, right? And so we need, to, we need, to, we need some balance there. We have, a, we have a family value as a church. Second Baptist, we have these family values. They help us define our culture and things. And one of our family values is called redeem the time. Redeem the time, and this is what it says in our, uh, that we give this to all of our employees, our staff, our deacons, our people who serve, they get a copy of our family values. And under redeem the time it says this, We redeem the time. We understand that time is limited, so we strive to make the most of every minute we're given. We arrive at meetings promptly, and when we cannot, we notify others. We set aside distraction during our allotted ministry time or work time and push toward productivity and forward movement. That's how we work. That's how we work. When it's time to work, we work. When it's time to rest, we do so with abandon. And that's true, I've never worked in a church like this where we do that, man, at 4.30, man, we we go through and we start telling people, go home. It's time to go home, right? We're not calling on the weekend, we're not doing those kind of things. We, We work hard, we show up on time, we work hard, but then we go home and we be with our family. Colossians 3.17 kind of frames all this on the why. Why do we do this? Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything you do, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, everything we do, even our work, is a testament to how the Lord has worked in our life. We don't, we don't think a lot about the significance of, of serving God in our everyday tasks, do we? It's not something that we, we think a lot about, but I want you to hear, man, it doesn't matter what your job is, stay-at-home mom, nurse, drive-through worker, pastor, lawyer, doctor, I don't care what it is that you do, you can do it for the glory of God. In college, I, I was a server at, at Red Lobster for two very miserable years, but it was probably during that time that I had more on-the-job witness experience than in any other job that I've had God can and he will use you to make a difference in whatever work you do. Whatever you're doing, God can use you. There's a, there's a quote by Martin Luther, the, the reformer. He, he, um, he maybe said this, all right, it's, it's debated. He, he said this. The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. And I say that it's debated by Luther because it's close but it doesn't actually fit with Luther's idea of work. It doesn't really fit with his doctrine of of work. The idea that God is pleased with our work because he likes the quality of our work sounds very American. Just get to the end, end result, right? God likes quality work, and he does, but it doesn't stop there. The work isn't actually the goal. The work isn't actually the goal. Luther would instead, he would say something like this. He would insist that the work is done in service of the neighbor and of the world. That God likes well-made shoes, not for their own sake, but because the neighbor needs shoes. So make good shoes. So we slow down, we mind our own business, and we work hard so that, look at verse 12, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. See, the way that we live and interact in the world is a big deal. People are constantly watching. Those outsiders, outside of our faith family, outside of the church, they're watching. And they're watching how you live, how you interact with others, how you work. And it's our mission to go to them and help them know Jesus, is it not? That's our mission, given by Jesus himself. And so people are all the time watching us. So let me ask you, who would wanna be a part of something that is filled with frantic, stressed out, people who constantly have their nose in everybody's business and they're lazy? You can find that anywhere. Nobody wants to be a part of that, but what if they look in the church and they find a people that have the freedom to rest, not chasing everything that the world throws at them, not chasing the busy of the world, people that trust God and mind their own business and who work hard for the glory of God and not their own. That's different. That's different. And the, the, the different thing about us is we're not working for something, we're working because of something. We're not working for God to love us, we're working because he loves us. And so that affects every part of our life. We are a people persuaded by the gospel, Acts 17, four says. You and I. It's why we, why, why we came here this morning, it's why we show up. We truly believe that God loves us and desires a relationship for us, right? We truly believe that. We truly believe that Jesus stepped out of heaven, came to this earth on a rescue mission. We truly believe that he lived a sinless life and he modeled all of this for us. That he wasn't lazy, that he worked hard, that he cared for people, that he made margin for people. He also stepped aside to rest. We truly believe that Jesus lived a life we couldn't. We truly believe that he was crucified on a Roman cross. We truly believe that his death and his blood was the sacrifice for our sin guilt that we so desperately needed. And we truly believe that after he was dead for three days, he stepped out of the grave alive. And he brings victory over sin and death, and he offers that to us, and we truly believe that if we will just confess Jesus as Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that what, we will be saved. You will be a son or a daughter of God, and because we believe all of that, but we also believe that it transforms our lives. Not overnight. Not perfectly. It's a a process, as verse one says. But we follow him and we look like him more and more. We believe that following Christ should affect not only our Sunday, but also our Monday through Saturday. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, in, in, in word or in deed, do everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And because of that, we can confidently take our faith to work. We can confidently take our faith to school, to the ball fields, and even on vacation because the neighbor needs good shoes. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday.